Well, I'm Matt Silver. I'm one of the pastors here at Experience Christian Church. And Experience is a church startup in Exton. We're now eight weeks old, and we were started because we wanted to give people an opportunity for a fresh start with God or a fresh start with a church. And so thank you for joining us today. We're thankful for the investment you've made. We're in the middle of a series that we called One Word Christmas. And so this is our fourth week talking about words with Christmas. And we did this topic because, well, despite it being the happiest time of the year, they say, and our troubles are miles away, that's not always true, is it? Sometimes life is difficult. And this is the time of year that feels like it's the most difficult to be open and honest about how you're really feeling. And so for the last four weeks, we've taken on words like peace. Peace is something we need in the midst of worry, where we're worried about things, and we believe you can find that. You can find peace. Then the following week, we talked about it was the need for contentment, because we can find ourselves discontent with our status or our situation or our stuff. Last week, we talked about darkness and the ways in we need light in our relationships. And today, we're talking about hope. It's interesting that Americans rank Christmas as their favorite holiday, but they also say it's the most drastically tension-filled holiday at the same time. So we're managing that tension. You can relate, can't you? But the good news is you're T-minus, I think you're 22 hours from the most stressful time of the day. According to the New York Post article, the stress of the holiday season peaks on Christmas Day at 2.05 p.m. And they said, not coincidentally, when you're probably sitting down for dinner with family. Anybody resonate with that time spot? What are you going to be doing tomorrow? But applaud yourself for how far you've come. All your gifts are probably purchased. <laughs> They're probably wrapped. You've endured songs like All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey probably 60 times. That's almost off the radio. You've endured traffic and crowds, and hey, you've almost made it. Well, for me, a good analogy of this holiday season is my daughter, Quinn. I have three children. My son's 13 and 11, and my daughter, Quinn, who's now eight. This is a video taken two years ago at Disney World, and I think you'll find the connection to the holiday season here in just a moment as we watch this video. What do you think, boys? Oh my gosh. Hands up, Quinn. That was 30 seconds. Really? You love it? No. It's not going like I wish it would. It's not going like I wish it would. Two days from now, you're going to blink. It's like, is that it? Is that what Christmas really was? And you hold on to your brand new socks that you got, right? Well, Christmas or the holiday season does not take away all our troubles, does it? You know, here's a little bit of honesty. You can look around, maybe you'll raise some hands and share some of the things you maybe have overcome these holiday disasters. How many of you put a Christmas tree up and it actually fell down? You didn't anchor it properly and it fell. Anyone? Okay, there's someone there. Yes. How about a Christmas ornament? You had an overly anxious cat or dog and it knocked it off the tree and broke one of your favorites. That happened to us this week. How about the holiday sweater that <coughs> maybe shrank a little bit? You couldn't wear it this year to the party because, you know, couldn't quite stretch it down. Anybody there? And then how about this one? You had guaranteed delivery for today on a Christmas gift, but it looks like it's not going to get, it's not going to arrive in time. And so what you're going to be giving is a piece of paper with a picture on it of what they will be getting sometime before July. Anybody here? 
Yes, that's what happens, right? Well, sometimes things in the holiday doesn't go quite like we wish it would. Well, we're going to be looking at the Christmas narrative. We're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. I'm sorry, Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at some of the things that probably didn't go like the characters wish they would. So first of all, Luke introduces us to a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And Zechariah was a priest, and they both had had a prayer that they had prayed many times, but it didn't seem to be answered, and that was they desired to get pregnant. And they were both very old at this time, and despite living a good life, the Bible says that they were both righteous, which means they did what God wanted them to do, but they also did it for the right reasons. They loved God and wanted to serve Him and honor Him well. Nevertheless, they were childless, and Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. But then something miraculous happened. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said, "'Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son.'" and you'll name him John. But then something awkward happened. Zachariah did the same thing that you and I probably would do. If we saw an angel, we would say, how do we know this is true? We're both really old. And so Zachariah said, hey, I stand in the throne room of God, and you're not going to speak until that baby's born. And you're thinking, wow, that's interesting. It's like nine months. Then it happened that she was pregnant, and she delivered, and they named him John. But it makes me think like, Life isn't going like you wish it would. Like, why, why would they have to wait so long to get pregnant? And then also, why would this just be on that awkward timeline? Like, okay, they think of all the prayers that they would have said, and then it said, well, now you're pregnant. Think about Mary. In contrast to her cousin Elizabeth, who was elderly and wishing for a child, you had Mary, who was a young virgin, who was told by the same angel that you're going to be with child. That's something she wasn't really asking for. And then she had to tell her husband, Joseph, and Joseph said, so an angel came and talked to you, and you're going to be pregnant by God? That doesn't seem very realistic. And so he starts doubting who she was and who, what was told to her, and then an angel visited him. And the angel said, hey, you have more than the two options you're thinking. The two options he was thinking, well, I can divorce her publicly, and she might be stoned to death, or I could, you know, I could um, divorce her quietly, then things would go a little bit easier for her. But no, he took a third option because of what the angel said. The angel said, marry her. So then he became married. But obviously, things were going like they wished they would. It, it was awkward, and they had to explain things to individuals. Difficult. Then they had to travel to Bethlehem. And rather than being able to deliver the baby in her own hometown, Caesar Augustus, he did, made a decree that needed them to travel to Bethlehem. And this wasn't a quick, easy journey. This was 70 miles as the crow flies, and scholars think that it was about 80 to 100 miles, and it was full of twists and turns and wild animals and bandits, and they took them anywhere between four days to a week to arrive at the destination. And then when they got to Bethlehem, well, there was no room in the inn. So Mary had to have a baby, the baby Jesus, in a stable and place him in a manger. And does this seem like a narrative that you would choose to write? Because truth be told, I like an easy life. I like straight A's without studying, eggnog without calories, and I like, you know, muscles without exercise. I like things easy. Relationships with no drama, no heartache, mutual trust and submission. And in the midst of disappointment, like my daughter, I'm pretty quick to say, you know, life's not going like I wish it would. That leads me to ask, why weren't things easy for God's people in this story? You know, why didn't the angel appear to Zechariah and Elizabeth when they were young and say, hey, I know you're in pain because you've been praying this prayer and it hasn't been answered. Hey, in, in a couple decades, I'm going to come back to you 
And then I'm going to tell you that you're going to give birth to this guy named John who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. It's going to be fantastic. But rather than that, think of all the countless prayers they had about getting pregnant and the disappointment they faced. And think, why did, the Mary, why did the angel go to Mary and Joseph separately? Like, that's a lot of tension to have to navigate, a lot of conversations, a lot of pain in those days or weeks before they reconcile those things. Like, why not just tell them at the same time so there'd be no question of things? Why not have them go to Bethlehem early so they could find a proper place to give birth to Jesus? But I'm not the author of the Christmas story. And truth be told, I'm not the author of a lot of the elements in my story. If I can control my story, well, it would go exactly like I wish it would. Certain people, certain characters would have a bigger role. Certain characters would probably have a lesser role. Life would be easier. I wouldn't have all the twists and turns. What things are going on in your life that aren't going like you wish they were? I'm sure there's some. In the past seven days, we've had two families in our church have to take a loved one to the hospital. One of my closest friends in the church, his mother passed away on Friday night. In this time of year, when you really want to celebrate, not give things up, you know, maybe for you, it is 2.05 tomorrow. There's an empty chair, and you're dreading the fact it's not filled with someone that you love and care about, or someone that you wish was in your life. Maybe at 2.05, someone's going to sit in a chair, and they're like, man, I've got to be anxious. This, this person brings me a lot of anxiety and stress. And so 2.05 might feel like a pretty accurate thing. Maybe it's finances, you're stressed out. The gifts that you bought are perfect, but you know those bills are coming in January and that advance or that bonus didn't come in. Maybe it's just something in your gut. You're like, something just doesn't feel like it should. And so you're feeling this stress. So what gets us through these hard things? And I believe the secret is hope. In order to talk about the kind of hope that gets us through life when it's not going like we wish it would, I need to tell you what hope is not. Because hope is not the same thing as optimism. You know, optimism is telling yourself that things are going to be great even when they're not great. The last, yeah, it's just been dark and gloomy here lately. And, you know, the past couple of weeks, it, we had those days, it was like getting dark at 3 o'clock. It was realistically in dark at 4.40, but it just felt like so early. And you're just like, is this a heaviness in the air? And I can just think of little orphan Annie singing, the sun will come out tomorrow, right? But it didn't. <laughs> it was a week and it was tough being in that weather. Well, optimism says that it's going to be great even when you get something like bad news. You're like, oh, it's all going to work out. That's not hope. Hope is willing to admit when things are bad. That things aren't going like you wish they were, but it's also believing that it'll get better in the future. And in fact, it may not get better in this lifetime, certain things, but we're guaranteed a future that's possible. It's difficult for us to comprehend how hopeless the world was before that first Christmas. Israel had just about lost their faith. The Jews were being oppressed by the Romans. The leaders were corrupt. Worship was empty and sterile. And those who did so were mainly just going through the motions. And the people were discouraged. It seemed like God was silent and had been silent for a long time. You know, what they wished for was a warrior. They wanted a warrior. But what they got was a baby. They wanted a king who would come in and rule over and take away their problems, but instead they got a servant who gave his life up. Is it that difficult for us to comprehend? Because, well, that's a lot like today, isn't it? Today people struggle with their faith. All kinds of people groups are oppressed. Accusations of corrupt leadership on all levels are made daily. Churches seem empty sometimes, sterile. And we question, God, why are you silent? 
So what is it the kind of hope that we're hoping for? Well, I like how Rick Warren, the pastor, explains three kinds of hope. And he said the first kind of hope is wishful hope. You know, wishful hope is the kind of hope in order to see things are going your way. We drove around looking at Christmas lights last night, and my hope was my son did not get car sick, which he frequently does, and we drove around looking at Christmas lights for about an hour. You may say things like, I hope there's a parking spot in the front near the store. Any of you that are parents or just have clothing coming your way, you're like, I hope there's not a return line in Target in two days, which you know <laughs> that's a wishful hope, right? <laughs> wishful hope doesn't work. It doesn't change reality. It doesn't change things. The second kind of hope is expectant hope. And this is based on some reality. You know, this is you study for a test, you expect to get a good grade. When you board a plane, you have an estimated time of arrival. You think that estimated time of arrival is going to happen because, well, you have an expectation. When a woman is pregnant, it's communicated that she is expecting. And there are expectations of something happening, but expectant hope isn't guaranteed hope, is it? And in fact, when expectant hope doesn't turn out, that's the most painful kind of hope ever because it trusts. It inserts energy into something. You've worked for something. You've done the right things. And yet at the same time, expectations fall short and it's excessively painful. Maybe that's how you feel today. It was so clear what you wanted. You wanted this, but what you got was that. And that doesn't look anything like this. And so you feel stuck with that. But one of the things we all have to wrestle with is, God, is this what I should be clinging on to? And then it just creates this little bit of a maddening tension, doesn't it? You're like, well, is that it? Is that this? And so what we need to find is the kind of hope that really matters. And the hope that we need is certain hope. Hebrews 11.1, 1, this verse says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And this is the kind of hope that can anchor our souls. This isn't just wishful thinking, a gut feeling, or even expecting. This is knowing for sure. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And certain hope is an anchor that holds us strong when life isn't going like we wish it would. It takes the truth found in the Bible, applies it in our situation, and allows us to press on without giving up. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came, and we can be certain that Jesus did, in fact, come. In Luke's gospel account, he begins his letter with these words. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. word. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have know the certainty of the things you've been taught. That word certainty is connected with the word hope. Some people get really hung up with the complexity of this narrative. There's confusion for why Jesus had to come. There's confusion on why Jesus had to die. And sometimes confusion can lead to doubts. I want you to know that experience, we are a church where you are encouraged to explore those doubts. One of the statements we like to say here is that you can belong before you believe. And that's because we don't want you to feel pressured or manipulated into believing anything. But we also believe you can bring your real and authentic questions into an environment like this and find truth. We think there is trustworthiness in the narrative. And for me, a lot of that's because the narrative doesn't produce and provide some perfect storyline. The biblical narrative is full of complexity. The biblical narrative is full of disappointment because, well, that's how Jesus described this world. In Luke 1, Jesus said, I'm sorry, John 16, 33, 
Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying, don't be surprised when things don't go like you wish they were, because in this world you'll have trouble. But that's why he came into the world. It's interesting, when you read Jesus' life, you see he faced a lot of hard things. Betrayal by best friends. His own siblings questioned who he was. And then he was crucified. In this world, you'll find trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hope has this confidence that Jesus has, in fact, overcame this world. For everyone who gives their life to Jesus, who puts their hope in him, this is a promise we receive, and it's found in Romans 8.28. It says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And all things means all things. So for me, when the things are going well, it's going just like I wish it would, I celebrate those seasons because, man, this is great. But when things aren't going like I wish they would, well, in those moments, I just stop and say, God, I just trust and I have hope that you're going to work all these things out for good. Admittedly, this can feel like a giant step for some people. And we want to invite you to our first series that we're doing in January. It's actually going to be January 11th we'll start this series. And it's going to be The Purpose Driven Life. It was written by author Rick Warren. And it does provide a lot of hope for a lot of people. Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, after 2012, he had went into a really, really dark depression. A lot of his identity was wrapped up in the swimming. He was questioning if that was going to be his continual area of focus in life. And things got difficult and darker and darker and darker. And he questioned whether he should continue to be in this world. His friend Ray Lewis from the Baltimore Ravens called him up and said, man, you need to get in rehab and, and you need to read this book. And he handed him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. And this was Michael Phelps' comment about it. He said, this book turned me into believing there was a power greater than myself and there was a purpose for me on this planet. And the tenet of this book is that God actually created every human being with a specific purpose. And we have to open ourselves up to allow the designer of our lives to show us what that purpose is. And so we hope that you'll consider joining us for that series. Well, during the Christmas season, I want to point out what the angel said to Joseph as recorded in Matthew 1, 20 to 23, and highlight three quick points. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first of the three things is one, God has a because. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, make, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, life's not going like Joseph wished it was in the moment. And then the angel appeared and said, press on, Joseph, because God's up to something. God's got to because. You know, God does not cause all things. There are certain things in this world that God just permits. He would never do some of those things. Free will is one of the best and most terrible things we endure here as humans. God commands us to love one another, but he doesn't force us to love one another. But here's what we're promised. That God will work all those things, no matter how dark they seem, he will work them out for good. God's got to because. The next thing I want to point out is God came to save us. 
It says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It's critical to remember that Jesus did come as a baby, but he continued a mission, and his mission was full of things that weren't going quite like he wished he would, but nothing deterred him from the mission, which to give his life up as a way for us to reconnect with God. John 3.16, of the favorite passage in the scripture, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when I'm honest, I go back to this verse and I reread it, because sometimes when life's not going like I wish it was, I have to remind myself that the, I'm part of the world here, that God actually gave his life for me. And sometimes it's easier to say, man, God gave his life for you. He loves you, because I know me. And when you read that verse and you say, God actually so loves me and that when I believe in him, I'm promising eternal life. And for me, eternal life is a reminder that things might not go like I wish it was here. I'm not guaranteed that, but I'm guaranteed that it'll go like I wish it was for eternity. And that's hope. And the third thing is, is God with us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When life's not going like we wish it would, let this season remind you that God came to this earth as a baby. He became one of us, and he lived as one of us. Hebrews says he was tested in every way that we were. So if you feel and you forget, and you feel very alone with your feelings, and I feel betrayed and I feel alone, Jesus gets it. He experienced everything that we encounter. Remain without sin, and that's an encouragement to us. If you found yourself anxious about 205 tomorrow, remember, Emmanuel, God's with you. The baby that came into that manger a couple thousand years ago wants to come into your life and be with you and walk with you. 2020 can be a great year. I hope it's one filled with hope for you. Not wishful thinking, not wishing it's a great year. But real hope, hope that's anchored in a God who came, a God who lived a life and offered that life so that we can reconnect with the Father. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. God, sometimes life doesn't go like we wish it would. God, rather than full of hope. Sometimes things feel dark. And God, I'm so thankful that we can find hope in you. God, uh, our timelines, by the time we say amen of a prayer, we want to see a difference. And God, sometimes hope doesn't come in days, it comes in seasons. And seasons can be frustrating. But God, you promise to be with us on the other side of every season we ever have. Thank you for that hope you give us. So regardless of where people find themselves today, I pray that they'll open themselves up to find hope in you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.